I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. In this module, we're going to talk about emotional reactivity, what it is, why we suffer from it, and what to do about it, how to change it. Because we all know that reacting from a state of emotions is undercuts our, our, our objectivity, um, our ability to make good decisions for ourselves. We just caught, get caught up in our emotions. And the reason for this is because as children, we are never taught how to handle our emotions. We're taught which emotions are acceptable. We're taught what behaviors are expected of us regardless of what we feel. We're taught to disregard any emotions that don't fit in that particular framework. And we grow up without being given a sense of understanding that emotions are physical. They exist inside of our bodies. They are totally normal and natural, just like poop. You know, we have to process our emotions, but we're not told that. We're not taught that. And so this module is basically, you know, what the, the crux of my whole coaching program, it's the user operating manual for the human body. Emotions are not just pesky little things that don't mean anything. They are our pathway, our portal to meaning, to purpose, to learning about ourselves and what's important. Emotions are the bridge between our mind and our body. They are our body's way of letting us know what's going on in our subconscious. They connect us to our values and our purpose, and they are guides. They are not objective uh, information about the outside world. They just tell us what we're thinking about the outside world. And then for those of us that choose to go down this path, we understand that we can choose our thoughts. We can choose our beliefs, all thoughts, all beliefs, all the meaning that we think is out there. It's all just imagined. And so that's not meant to take away from our beliefs. It's just meant for, for us to see that we have a choice. And when we're getting an emotional response, it's because there's a problem. Emotions are like pain and uh, for any other thing in the human body. They are telling us that something needs our attention. So, you know, I think about one of the prime examples of the first time in our life that we're really truly gaslit, where we are taught to disregard our own intuition and disregard what we're thinking and feeling by the adults in our lives. And I am not demonizing Santa. I'm just using it as an example. But this story that we tell our kids that they're Santa, you know, as we grow and as our, or, or we raise our children, we watch them, they start getting suspicious, you know, like this isn't making any sense. First of all, we don't have a chimney. Or that chimney, you know, doesn't, I've never seen anybody else come down that. So how, how does this work? 
And what is this naughty and nice list? And Sienna's watching all year round. Isn't that kind of creepy? You know, and yet we we try to keep the magic alive with Christmas. And I've done this too. I, I still do this. If my kids want gifts, they need to refer to me as Santa. But we that that's just a perfect example of how as young children we are taught that adults know what's going on and and more importantly we are taught to disregard our own sense of intuition and so what happens when we learn to do that is our emotions become suppressed and in the last module that I sent out, it was about letting go. And I want to reiterate that learning how to let go of emotions does not mean that you are not a person that's going to set boundaries, that you are not a person who you know stands up for yourself, that you're just going to take a bunch of shit, that you're just going to sit in a corner and not feel anything all the time and just be non-reactive, like here I am, just not caring about anything. That is not what it is at all. Letting go of your emotions is more about clearing, almost like inflammation, clearing the inflammation out so that you can get down to the objective issue, just get down to the facts and not be clouded by emotional non-judgment. It's about clearing the energy so that you are looking at things from a place of safety and security and calm and clear-headed thinking that subconscious beliefs that you're unaware of, that you didn't choose, that were programmed into your brain by culture or abuse or trauma or social you know, expectations, so that those thoughts and beliefs are not driving the bus, so that you aren't just knee-jerk reactioning your way through life and kind of being a victim of your own emotions. You know, emotions do not reflect external truths. So if you are, or I'll use myself, if I'm mad at my husband, my anger is not telling me that that dude's a dipshit or that that dude isn't considerate or that that dude is never going to be what I need and want him to be. So understanding that the problem when we're having this discomfort, the problem is not out there. Emotions are a filter. Imagine like wearing a pair of glasses. And if you have a lot of resentment and anger and shame and guilt, then you're perceiving what's going on out there as some, you're making things mean something that, that objectively neutral they do not. And so understanding the motivation for dealing with your emotions as a separate entity from the external circumstance is the key to freedom. It's the key to showing up as your best self. Because remember, the more emotional you are, the less logical and rational you are, the less objective you are, because your emotions are creating discomfort in your body. And when you, when you make the turn cognitively to understand that your emotions are about you, and your thoughts and feelings and not, you know, objective reflections of the outside world, then you can deal with that. You can bring consciousness and curiosity to what's going on and then resolve the issues 
so that you can then look more objectively at the circumstance. When you resolve the issues inside of you, that includes, and I'll get to it, but asking yourself what you really need. You know, when we talk about boundaries with people and the question is, you know, where do you set boundaries with with our partners and with people in the world? The thing about boundaries is you don't set them. You acknowledge that they already exist. That is the first step. Whenever you're getting frustrated or feeling resentment or feeling something in relation to another person, that emotion is the smoke alarm, if you will, of there's a boundary. And we have the power to change our boundaries. Um, You know, maybe we think we're putting up with something that we just need to look at differently. Um, But the bottom line is that we need to acknowledge what is in this moment. You can't change something if you don't acknowledge what it is. Okay, so in this module, I'm going to start with that when dealing with emotional reactivity or overreactivity, awareness is the most important tool. Once you become aware that you are emotional, then you can learn, and there's tons of tools and strategies for this, but in this one, it's we're going to just start with the awareness that then you can learn how to deal with your emotions. And we all do things like that differently, but you have to be aware that emotions are the problem. They are not information coming in from out there. They're information coming in to your beliefs and your issues. Okay. So starting with the emotional ownership statement that I use a lot, um, blank out there the person, the situation, the event, the circumstance. That is not the problem. My thoughts and feelings about that are the problem. And taking that pause to separate what's going on out there from what's going on in here, that requires awareness. And honestly, in this situation, what I'm finding is that in this game of life, you know, awareness is the most important tool. And if you can get awareness, it's an 80%, you're 80% of the way there. Then, you know, what to do with that awareness and how to process the emotions, all of that will come in time. Because once you're aware that the problem isn't out there, it's in here, then you can do something about it or just acknowledge it. Um, and not project whatever you're feeling in here onto your circumstances and, and skew it even more. So I'll give you just a quick example of when this totally changed. You know, I, I am a, an onion peeling back all the layers of myself too. But when I truly got this and, and really in my core understood uh, this was what happened. So my daughter um, is going to be a senior this year. She's in her senior year now. This happened back in the spring. And she's been doing show choir for years. And um, I worked really hard to get her into show choir. Big picture, she was having a lot of mental health issues. She wanted to go into dancing, but had broken her hip and had all this stuff. So I worked really hard. And also I was in show choir, jazz hands. Uh, I worked really hard to get her to shift lanes. Um, And it's been a wonderful three years of high school, freshman, sophomore, junior year. She's been in show choir. And 
um, she's told me every year she doesn't want to do it. And then I do my mommy magic and I finagle and I bargain and maybe I bribe and I get her through the auditions and then she gets into it and then it's fine. And multiple times in the last year, she said, mom, I'm not going to do this my senior year. And of course I'm like, we'll see about that. But it came down to it and she was setting a boundary. She's like, mom, I'm not going to do this. And this upset me so greatly because what I was making her not being in show choir mean is that she's going to go back to having mental health issues. She's going to lose touch with the friends that are college bound and, you know, that I perceive to be kind of good influences on her. She's going to start spending way too much time with that lovely boyfriend that she has. She's going to end up not going to college. She's going to end up not enjoying her senior year, yada, yada, yada. And I had all of this resistance and anger and fear in my body. And so over the course of a couple of weeks, I was starting to fight and she was starting to fight me back. And then one day we were in the kitchen and I think the tryouts were the next week and I started yelling. Yeah, I was yelling at her and just, I don't even know what I was saying because it doesn't make sense. Emotions don't make sense. And she, you know, was just kind of standing there and I saw the look on her face and all of a sudden bored to the head. I was like, oh my God, emotional ownership statement. Kate not being in show choir is not the problem. My thoughts and feelings about Kate not being in show choir are the problem. And as I so often do in the two and a half years since I've quit drinking, I was like, uh, I need a timeout. Like I'm, I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to go get my shit straight. And once I realized that my thoughts and feelings were the problem, so much pressure left my body. And also I was able to see that what I was making it mean was just one version of a million options. You know, show choir is extremely expensive. I have spent hundreds of hours every year being the show choir mom and doing on the committee and blah, blah, blah. Um, It's expensive. It's so time consuming. I mean, from January to March, every single weekend, it's traveling, it's shitty food, all the things I hate. It's not getting enough sleep. You know, her grades might suffer in other areas. And so Kate not being in show choir doesn't mean anything. It only means what I think it means, what she thinks it means, what we collectively decide to make of it. That moment was a turning point for me. And ever since then, I love the moment I realize I'm upset about anything is the moment that I'm using awareness as my most important tool. Oh, my emotions are the problem here. I need to deal with my emotions. So how do we do that? As I've said, number one, the first thing is to acknowledge the emotion. I, you know, and there's different tools and it doesn't really matter. Just acknowledging that you're emotional is plenty. It's enough. But, you know, in that moment, I took the time to tease out all of the feelings. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling resistance. I'm feeling um, unheard. You know, all of the things. You don't have to do that, but just acknowledging the emotion. Then turning from the story, getting out of your head. And just dealing, okay, let's just say that I was feeling fear. Dealing with the fear inside my body, looking at it, looking away from the story that's creating the fear. 
and going into my body and saying, okay, I'm feeling afraid and dealing with that physical sensation. What does it feel like? And to stop trying to think your way out of fear. What we tend to do, our main thing that we do from the time we're a small child is we try to think our way out of emotions. So from the little kid, you know, looking through the Santa and they're like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm feeling confused and also suspicious. Well, then we start looking for stories. Well, you know, the, 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 fireplace is big enough for a human. We try to think our way out of our emotions. So I was trying to think my way through my fear and to think that solving my fear required me to get Kate to go do something else as though, or to, to do the show choir, as though Kate not being in show choir was the cause of my fear. It's not. My thoughts and feelings about Kate not being in the show choir are causing my fear. And so dealing with that and accepting full responsibility for the way I was feeling and not projecting the cause of that fear onto my daughter or onto the circumstance or whatever it is. So the first step is to acknowledge the emotion. And then the second step is to allow for it. And this is where the last module, when I talked about letting go, you know, bypassing the stories in your brain thinking about that 90 second rule, you know, as our thoughts do trigger our emotions, we've learned from Jill Bolt Taylor. um, And I've talked about this multiple times that it takes 90 seconds for our system to flush out the stress response, the adrenaline, the cortisol dump, whatever. And then beyond 90 seconds, we're perpetuating and reactivating that circuit, which reactivates the cascade of emotional uh, chemicals, uh, it takes 90 seconds to clear. And then after that, we, we have a choice. We can perpetuate it. So my point is when I like escaped to my room, this wasn't like to, to deal with the show choir thing. This wasn't, you know, a three hour process. I went and I just felt the emotions. Once I realized my emotions were the problem, I was like, okay, my emotions are the problem. Where where do I feel it? How can I relax into it? How can I allow for this? How can I allow myself to be uncomfortable with this? Like, can I just be uncomfortable? I don't know how this is going to go. How do I minister to my body? You know, part of this question with allowing it is, what do I need? What do I need right now? And the answer is not, I need Kate to promise she's going to do show choir next year. I need to let go of my fear. I needed to think through it, but you don't want to think through things in a state of fear because then your story is going to be filtered through fear and graspiness and holding on and needing something out there to make you feel better. So um, asking yourself what you need and treating the emotions first. Think of emotions, uh, another metaphor is that emotions to me are like the order of operations in elementary school math. You know how you can't do um, the addition and subtraction in a multi-step problem until you solve for the multiplication and division. Um, And of course there's exponents and logarithms and all that. We're going to keep it real simple here. Um, You can't solve for problems out in the world until you solve for the emotions until you let it go, until you get clear. And so me looking at Kate not being in show choir that day required me to first 
acknowledged that I needed to release and relax my fear. For me, what that looks like, um, I have a couple mantras that work for me. Nothing has gone wrong. I say that to myself. I, I calm, I soothe myself. Nothing has gone wrong. Nothing is wrong. Um, I don't need to do anything. I can allow for this. Kate is strong and resilient and I can be uncomfortable with this. I can be okay not knowing. That's another mantra. So um, nothing has gone wrong. I can be okay with not knowing. I can be okay being comfortable with discomfort. You know, so using that tool to allow for the emotion, I'm uncomfortable right now and that's okay. That's normal. That's another one I like. This is a perfectly normal response. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with the emotions that I'm feeling. So, you know, part of allowing, step two, allowing for the emotions, allowing for the energy to be there is to not layer the emotion with you shouldn't be feeling like this and what the fuck is wrong with you. Okay. So allowing for the emotion is just, okay, what do I need right now? Um, and how can I feel better? And then agreeing to stay with yourself, with your body without numbing and dumbing. Because here's the thing about all of our stupid coping skills, like drinking, they don't resolve the emotion. We're not getting any smarter. We're just suppressing it down and increasing the pressure in our bodies. So even if we use distraction and indeed the emotion passes and going away, if we don't look inward and kind of use our intelligence to do this, it'll just keep coming back. You know, distractions and numbing of our emotions is kind of like the equivalent of mopping up the water around the tub because it's overflowing and not going and turning off the water. Like when we are processing our emotions, we're turning off the water. We're applying intelligence. So understanding that we need to acknowledge that we're having an emotion and then allow for having the emotion. And then the third thing um, is to separate the emotion from the situation and just be curious about it. So I have three questions that I ask myself for this. And the first one is, is this emotion even about the situation? Is this a pattern of reactivity? Might I be feeling this way regardless of what's going on? So I'll use an example of a story this week that has been through shared in group that uh, one of you is getting upset with a partner who seems really inconsiderate because they live in New York. And when they go someplace together, the partner gets into the driver's seat and buckles her seatbelt and gets herself situated and doesn't click unlock on the door. And so the my, one of you is just standing there in the oppressive heat going, what the fuck, open the door. You know what I mean? So when you're, after you acknowledge that your emotions are the problem and not the unlocked door, um, and you allow for the emotion, then moving into the question, is this emotion even about the situation? Because we all know that when we're in a pissy mood, we're projecting pissiness into the world. And everything seems to be, you know, annoying and too little too late and a personal insults coming at us and, you know, things aren't going our way. It's like, that's an emotional state. And so the first question to ask yourself is, would I be feeling this way anyway if I was in another situation? And then you can kind of step back and see that 
okay, it isn't really even about this situation. And the reason this is an important question to ask, because it allows you to save a lot of time, um, not in your head, solving fake problems, problems that aren't real, problems that are just a result or the projection of what's going on inside. So, you know, asking yourself, might I feel like this regardless of what's going on? Um, I had another client, one of you this week, who every single night since COVID, you know, she lives in a small house and she gets upset in the evenings because she feels like she has no space. Nobody will leave her alone. She can't get a minute. Can a mom get a minute? You know what I mean? And then recently they were on vacation and she was sharing with me that in the evening, uh, she was trying to get everybody to play games and do something together as a family, and nobody wanted to take her up on it. And she was getting pissed that nobody wanted to spend any time with her. <laughs> and so I was able to point out, maybe that's just how you feel in the evenings. Maybe this has nothing to do with people who want or do not want to, to spend time with you at any given time. And so that allows you to go deeper and get really curious about you know, what, why do I tend to feel anxious in the evenings? And then go back to that question, what do I really need? Like, what's really the problem here? Can I just allow this energy to go away? Maybe it's just the product of, you know, a big stressful day and recognizing that the stress is coming from the inside and you just need some self-care in whatever way. Second question um, that's really powerful is what am I making this mean? You know, in the example with the unlocked door on the parked car, you know, that that's a very neutral situation. I'm standing out here waiting for the door to be unlocked. But the emotion in your head, you might be making it mean that my partner's inconsiderate or I'm in the wrong relationship or I'm always standing on the outside waiting for somebody else. You know, I spend my life waiting you know, so what, what are you making it mean that you can't get what you want, that you are powerless, that you are dependent, you know, asking yourself when you feel anger or fear, just like with the show choir thing, I was making it mean a lot of things, but again, meaning is imagined. We all meaning is imagined. Meaning is not something that you can observe in the outside world. So asking yourself what you're making that mean and then deeper, where did you get that idea? Why Why are you making it mean that? Is that the way you were raised? Is that the way you were taught? Is that the way your parents were? Is that some belief that you've gotten, you know, from watching a YouTube video on gaslighting? And if somebody is not unlocking the door, then they're gaslighting you to make you feel crazy. Like, where is it coming from? And you don't have to solve the problem. You don't have to deep dive into every situation of your life that's ever you've ever felt this way. But asking yourself what you're making it mean about the other person, about you, about the future, about the past, about all of it can give you some clarity. And then you can remember that nothing means anything. Meaning is imagined and you get to choose what you're making it mean, including nothing. And then the third question um, that I find to be so powerful is how do I want to feel right now? This does not include a magic wand, um, but it does allow you to ask questions. You know, if, if you have a map and you identify where you are and where you want to be, 
instead of where you are and how the fuck you got here and whose fault it is, that is so much more powerful. And that's, that is the, the whole crux of coaching, you know, with therapy, it's all about asking why and making sense of the past and all of that. But coaching, um, it's a really powerful move to be like, it doesn't really matter why, because even if there was a why, which there isn't, you're making things mean things that they, their meaning doesn't exist out in the real world. Meaning is something we have to imagine and collectively imagine with other people. We have to agree on our stories or make up our own story, but like the story doesn't actually exist. You've just got different data points. So skipping all that um, or saving it for when you feel less emotional and just say, how do I want to feel right now? You know, so in the, in the example with Kate's uh, situation with show choir, how did I want to feel? I wanted to feel at peace with my daughter's situation. I wanted to give my daughter um, autonomy over her own life. And so that she would feel like she can trust herself to make a decision and self-correct for the one she doesn't end up happy with. And I wanted to feel confident in who she was. That's how I wanted to feel. And that is ultimately what I did. With the door unlocked situation, I suspect, although I'm just making this up, that uh, the frustration that she was coming in is connected to a lot of other things, including health problems, including just a lot going on in life, a lot of stress. And so that stress, that feeling of agitation was being projected onto that situation. And that in another time and space, the partner not unlocking the door wouldn't have the same emotional impact. It was because she was making it mean so much more and she just needed to stop and, and allow for that and realize that the emotion was coming from inside. And then in the third example where uh, somebody was getting really upset about the, the family not wanting to spend time with her, even though normally she gets upset that they do, how does she want to feel how, do, how does she want to feel in the evenings? Well, I want to feel like I'm doing what I want to do. Like that's a powerful thing. I'm doing what I want to do. I want to, I'm feeling, I'm taking care of myself. I'm, I'm doing what I need and want to do. And so how do you want to feel instead of asking yourself why you're agitated, asking yourself how you want to feel allows you to get really great, curious questions. I had a client last night on the phone um, new to sobriety and really happy with being a non-drinker, but has an event coming up, professional event that, you know, alcohol is a huge part of the culture. And I was asking her how she wants to feel. And we started with, how do you want to feel about not drinking? And that actually ended up being a lower level question. What really led us to a breakthrough was the question, how do you want to feel at the event? And she came up with some feelings. I want to feel successful and powerful and smart and organized. I want to be a leader. Okay. And I asked her one simple question um, was, is alcohol at all a part of that? Do you need alcohol to feel smart, organized, successful, powerful, and to be a leader? She's like, no, that would take away from it. Okay. There you go. There, there you have the motivation. How do I want to feel at this event? It, alcohol has nothing to do with it. Questions are so powerful. And really, if I had to say the one skill I have as a coach, it is the ability to ask questions that shifts your focus from why 
something is going wrong to how, why is this wrong to how do I want to feel? One last quick story. Um, another one of you had said this, the question one day on the phone, why can't I just parent myself in the same way I parent my kids? Because she, she is a great mom and she thinks she's doing it well, not shaming her kids, giving them autonomy, you know, teaching them how to think for themselves. So her question was, why can't I just do that for myself? Why can't I cut myself a break? Why can't I have compassion and empathy and just get out of my own head? And when I shifted the question from why can't you to how do you, how do you, how can I parent myself in the same way I kid that I parent my children, then the problem solving part of your brain kicks in and your, your brain's a dog looking for a bone. Why can't I? You're going to spend all sorts of time trying to figure out what's wrong with you and what's been wrong and what's broken. And when you shift your question to how, how do I want to feel? How can I accomplish that? How is a much more forward thinking approach. So just to kind of put all of this together, package it up, emotions do not reflect external truth. The problem is not out there. The problem is in there. And awareness of that is 80%. It's a pass-fail situation here. Bonus points come from using the emotional ownership statement of that is not the problem. My thoughts and feelings are the problem. And then three steps after that, number one, acknowledge the emotion, just acknowledging it, as I said, 80%. Number two, allow for it. You shouldn't feel any different way. You'd feel the way you feel, allowing for it, letting the energy pass through you, moving out of the story and just dealing with the physical sensations of your body, taking care of yourself. And then the third thing is to separate the emotional reaction from the situation. Be curious. Is this emotion even about the situation? What am I making this mean? Why am I making it mean all of that? Where is that coming from? Where did I learn all of that? And then the third thing, forward movement, is how do I want to feel? So I hope this helps with um, your emotional reactivity. Uh, and I look forward to working and talking with you all about it. See you in group. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course, where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink. Because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.